Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. You are listening to Inside F1 with Joe Sayward on Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and we are back in the shed recording a podcast just, what, 13 hours after our new show was uh, was published so I might be a little bit sluggish for my Monday afternoon. I hope you enjoyed our Sunday show and uh, our, your introduction to our new panellist, DJ. Uh, wasn't he good? Uh, DJ was the panellist that we picked up after calling out for uh, new fresh talent and content creators to come and join us on the crew. A really, really strong batch of applicants. I was absolutely stunned with the amount we got. Even if we only chose from people whose nickname could be Nick, we would still have had awesome choice. That's how inundated we were. So hopefully uh, you'll get some new faces here on Missed Apex Podcast, and I hope you will be welcoming to them. It was a very passionate response this morning to a lot of our topics. I I know a lot of you are very passionate about Monaco. There were some really good defences against my annual moan, which I will not bring into our race review about Monaco, and a lot of people echoing their love for the track and the fact that it's not taking up a space uh, that that we could be going somewhere else because there's 22, 23 races on the calendar. That's what they're going for. So I know that as much as there are people out there who don't love the Monaco Grand Prix, there's a lot of you out there who look forward to it every year. And chief amongst them is uh, one of the biggest Monaco apologists out there. It's mad journalist and F1 media superstar, Joe Sayward. How's it going, Joe? Well, I'm in, currently enjoying the Côte d'Azur. So, yes, I'm a big fan of Monaco because otherwise I'd be at home in the rain. So there you are. Um, hopefully it'll stay like this all week, which will be very nice. 
and we can watch the brilliant drivers driving around that awfully difficult track, which may not look good on television, but looks terrific when you're there. Well, good for you. I'm glad you're enjoying it all close up. And I, I know that there's also, you know, a lot of business gets done in in F1 as well, are very important for the teams. That's why I guess a lot of their focus and campaigns and um, things like the McLaren golf collaboration all seem to happen around Monaco. Yeah, that's true. I'm not sure how true it is this year because, of course, there are restrictions. Every team has got a restricted number of people they can have. Now, they do have a slightly bigger allowance. Um, and we saw in Spain some guests appearing for the first time. And in Monaco, we will see the return of some media into the F1 paddock which will be good because it'll be the first time for a year that we'll have been in the paddock, uh, apart from in a cage, we ha- which we've been enjoying for the last few races, which is quite horrid. Um, but it was a step forward, so we accepted it. But this time we're allowed to go into the paddock. There are still quite tight restrictions on what we'll be able to do and where we'll be able to go. Um, but, you know, every every little bit helps because, you know, up, up to now it's only been the television allowed in, which has annoyed me enormously. Really, you've been very, you've been very restrained about that, Joe. I have actually. You should have heard some of the other people. You know, a lot of people just stopped coming, um, going to races at all because it wasn't worth it. But my view was that if we were going to make it happen, we needed to have people there shouting uh, and pushing for it to happen. So that's what we've been doing um, quietly because large organisations don't tend to respond well to you know, people going on strike and all this sort of rubbish. Um, so we've been talking our way back into the paddock and then we're gradually getting there so uh, i think on the whole it's um a good step forward we'll see we'll see what happens this week but uh, there we are so you're looking forward to getting in and amongst the motorhomes and harassing the likes well, I can, of well, i am not allowed to walk in the motorhomes but i'm allowed to walk around them yes so you'll be ambushed um, you have to disguise yourself outside the motorhomes as a as a bin or something and then jump out and go <laughs> otmar tell me the well, things that's, that's what i've been doing for the last 30 years i don't have to disguise myself as a bin i just lurk somewhere where they don't see me then leap out when they come by but um i don't know we'll see how it goes but uh, monaco is actually quite good i've always found for for talking to people um because they do tend to be out of doors a bit more but the uh, it's all changed since the the uh, pandemic and lots of people don't leave the motorhomes much so um, and if the media can't go into the motorhomes to see them, I mean, even if you can go into the motorhomes, you can't go into the fancy areas, uh, you know, where the, where the where the high and mighty hide out. But uh, anyway, we'll see. It's all it's all moving on now. Joe, you are one of uh, one of those folk who who will tell the likes of me to to shut up because you just have to to be there to go to Monaco. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try and make it happen. At some point over the next couple of years, where are you? Where are you located? Where do you base yourself to go and see the Monaco Grand Prix? Well, I having having spent years paying for hotels, which are very expensive, and obviously that scares people off. But if you stay in Nice, for example, um, it doesn't cost a lot. Or in Montan or somewhere like that, you catch the train in and out. Uh, and the first time I came here, as I as I've said on the internet, um, you know, I I slept in a truck. And I came on a, I was younger then, I came on an interrail card. So it cost 100, 100 quid for the whole month anywhere in Europe. You could get on a train and go anywhere. I think they still exist today for people under a certain age. But um, So I came here with almost no money and had no money, literally, and survived um, throughout the whole racing weekend. And, you know, it's possible if you wanted enough. If you can't afford to get Dover, yeah, okay, it's a problem. 
but if you can if you can get uh, across the continent it's still easy to it's still like not easy but it's 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 not impossible and yeah. i think that if you have a dream no matter what that dream is you should always chase it that's my view and that's why i'm doing what i am today and it's why what you're doing today as well spanner so you know if you don't and let me tell how many people said to you what an idiotic thing you're doing having a recording studio in a shed uh, well my wife chief amongst them but yes, and uh, how yeah. many people said to me don't be ridiculous being a crime pre report you might as well try to be an astronaut you know um it's the same kind of thing are your neighbors uh, scraping a barbecue or something are they no, this is the Cote d'Azur. There's always building work going on <laughs> somewhere because some other rich person has bought another place and is um, and is tarting it up. I don't know who's doing it, and I can't do anything about it anyway. So, but it's somebody who's um, hitting things with. Just yep. yell, shut <laughs> up! We're recording a podcast from a shed. No, no, but it all adds to the thing. Anyway, in answer to your question, I am in a place called Letelby, which is high above Monte Carlo. Um, and I could, if I turned my computer down round to the uh, to the left, I would you would see the sea, but everything, uh, all the colours might go funny. So, um, well, <laughs> so, let me just give it a try anyway. Look, I'll, say, I'll do it and then I'll put it back again afterwards. There you go. Oh, I see. Absolutely, there's the sea. Absolutely gorgeous. The, you see down over there. Okay, so for the for the audio only viewer uh, listeners, uh, it was blue. It was blue, and, <laughs> and it was watery. And we will pretend the background noise is, in fact, the sound of suspension being readied around the streets of Monaco. It's a bit, it's a bit early <laughs> for that. All right, but then, if, Joe. If I look out to sea, I can see some of those sort of boaty things, you know, um, fancy gin palaces floating by. So it's it's very nice here and uh, um, very convenient. It's a bit complicated this year. I have to have so many bits of paper because crossing the border morning and crossing the border at night to go in and out of Monaco, uh, it's impossible to to stay in Monaco because it's so expensive um, and because they're robbers, fundamentally. This is the downside of Monaco is that okay. the people who live in Monaco become robbers. Um, actually, it's not unique. I was looking at prices for the Belgian Grand Prix and for the Dutch Grand Prix and also for Austria. Um which are all races that appear to be open to the public. And that, and I've never seen prices. I mean, even in Monaco, I've never seen prices like there are in Holland. It's absolutely insane. And there are people in Belgium, I guess, because it's near Holland and all the mm. Max fans can come down. But they want sort of £6,000 a night. And it's like, sort of, you're, you're kidding me, you know, go away. Nobody's going to pay that. Well, let's uh, let's get to the Monaco action then. Let's 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 mm-hmm. get our chips down early, Joe. Here and treat this as a a little bit of a, a Monaco preview. Who do you fancy for the Monaco Grand Prix? Come on, lay your lay your professional journalistic reputation on the line. I um, I don't know. I mean, the thing is, the cars have different um, they have different qualities, and I can see. Uh, the Red Bull, in theory, should be better than the Mercedes, but the Mercedes is very good, uh, and McLaren is also very good in certain. In, and Alpine, for example, now they're not going to win the race, mm. or it would be a miracle if they did. But um, you know, there are cars. The thing about Monaco, as well, you know, is and what people always complain about is that qualifying is very important, um, and so whoever qualifies, uh, it doesn't necessarily it doesn't follow. Spain is worse than Monaco in that respect, interestingly enough. The, 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 qualifi- the qualifying in Spain is more important than qualifying in Monaco, although you don't think of it that way. 
And we, we must never forget also that you have situations like uh, Olivier Penny's one in Monaco from 14th on the grid or something one time. You know, so these things happen. Is that, was that um, Panis when only five cars finished? That wasn't why he won. He won because he was, uh, he was a better driver on the day. And if I remember correctly, there weren't many faster cars that went out. <laughs> uh, you know, but, but Monaco's produced results like that over time. Trentignon won here, which was you know, not a regular winner. Uh, Beltois won here. I think it was his only victory. Um, and we had, you know, uh, I think Patrese won his first victory here too, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so, um, yeah. You know, it does throw up strange results. And and to be honest, you you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't say that Coulthard or, or Nico Rosberg would be the kings of Monaco, but if you look at the results, they've had very good results here. Why is that? Dunno. Well, not in the rain, Rosberg has Jim Clark results. here, of course, Jim Clark I don't think ever won Monaco. So uh, and Graham Hill won five times. How does that work? You know, um because there was a clear uh, a, a clear distinction between them. One was brilliant and the other one wasn't quite so brilliant. And yet one won here five times. So there you are. And I want to be clear that when I when I disparage Monaco as an event, that's not to say that there won't be the odd good race, the odd exciting race. And uh, Brad and Alex and Kyle were yelling at me on the WhatsApp chat this morning saying, this year they think it could be different because let's say that Lewis Hamilton does get out ahead with Verstappen second, which isn't entirely unlikely. Verstappen has so far overtaken Lewis Hamilton, I think, in every Grand Prix, which is not a thing that Lewis Hamilton will be used to. So whatever happens, Verstappen is going to push and and probe for an overtake. It's unlikely that he will just settle in a train. I think we'll have, uh, with those two as they are at the moment, I think we're in for a really exciting race. But how it will work out, I don't know. You know, who knows? Maybe... Maybe one of them will pile it into the barriers at some point and make a mistake. It happens. It happened to Prost one year. Here it happens to Senna one year. Um, you know, it's so easy. And that's the thing I think people, and this is why I always say if you come here, you appreciate it more. Because when you come here, you see you see how tight this place is. It is it's almost as bad as a Formula E track. You know, it's, it is, uh, and these are big cars. And these are fast cars, and and yeah, like Formula E's, which drummed along, you know, it takes three minutes to get to Sandovot, you know. Um, but it is the drivers have to be really focused, absolutely one thousand percent of the time, because it, just one tiny little glitch, if you break a tenth of a second too late, you're in the wall. Mm. It's as simple as that, and that's why it's so brilliant. And you see them doing stuff with cars, you just go, okay, right. Mm-hmm. And you might think, and lots of people think, oh, I could do that. Well, I've never come to Monaco and thought, I've never been anywhere actually and thought I can do that. But Monaco is just sort of, no way could I do that. I uh, I always I get people get annoyed with me when I say, go and play a, a video game just so you can see the tracks. And I have no doubt that I would absolutely fail at any vehicle around Monaco. The amount of controllers I've nearly broken. And in fact, I tend to just skip it when I've played the F1 games because it is it is that much of a challenge, not necessarily to drive and to hook a lap up, but like you say, lap after lap, you end up dinging a wheel or in the race, the concertina, you just end up ramming into a bunch of AI cars. Mm. Right. It's, it's also, I mean, I, for me, the, the most exciting bit of Monaco is is the qualifying when they're absolutely, absolutely on it. Mm. Um, and, you know, they need to be on it because they know, you know, the rules of the game here. So 
that's when you see them at the absolute peak of their art, I would say. Um, and that's, for me, is uh, that's what's special about it. And, of course, it's a race with enormous history. This race goes back to 1929. There aren't many Formula One Grand Prix that do. In fact, can you name the <laughs> Formula One Grand Prix or the tracks, anyway, that have been going longer than that? There's only one, I think. I, Interlagos. No. Silverstone. No. Absolutely not. It was an. It wasn't even built. Hungaro in the 1920s. Ring. <laughs> I'll give you a clue. The Autodroma Nazionale. Monza. See. Si. Oh, okay. That's, ah, but that, that was the, the old Monza with like the forty-five degree no, no, banking. No, 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 no. No, the old Monza is a bit of a myth. The high banking was only for a very short period of time, but the original Monza was flat, or at least only lightly banked. Ah. Um, so, and they didn't build the high stuff until. Uh, probably the, I want to say late 30s. Even in the early 30s, they, they were still flat or, or, or low banking. Oh, that's interesting. So. Joe, I have to say, I'm feeling far too relaxed for a podcast because you've got birds tweeting, you've got glorious weather behind you, and I just know there's a cocktail somewhere just out of shot. There isn't, actually. What? Sadly, but I did have a nice uh, rosé for lunch. So The, the reason I mention your, your ambiance, though, is because I see blue skies behind the trees mm-hmm. behind you. Yep. Any, any chance of rain? Does it look like there's any rain on the horizon? Well, I who knows at Monaco, because there, there are things called microclimates here. Uh, La Turbie is a very big rock, okay? And at the top of it, there's a, there's a sort of mountainy thing. It's not really a mountain, but it's a sort of top of a rock called the Tête du Chien, a dog's head. And if you go up there, you get a fantastic view of Monte Carlo, all little like sort of you know, models in the, in the far distance. In fact, oh. If I look down on the other side of the dog's head from here, I can see the paddock and you can see the red Ferrari motorhome um, down on the harbour. Will, we, will, will you take a, a move pic- things around? You know, will you take a picture and uh, and and tag us in an internet tweet thing? Oh, I could. Yeah, oh, maybe, that would be maybe. nice. Thank I, you. Although it's a, a, the same picture has appeared in um, in Grand Prix Plus many times over the years. No one <laughs> reads. No one reads, Joe. <laughs> All uh, right. What can I say? Um, the, the the interesting thing about qualifying that you mentioned will be that I think Q1 will be especially perilous because that's obviously the, the Mazepin qualifying, qualifying session. So if you don't get a lap in before the Mazepin red flag, you could be in trouble, Joe. Well, that's assuming there is a Mazepin red flag. There might just as, just as easily be a Sonoda red flag. Or, you know, it's entirely possible. Um, whoever the other new boy is, I can't remember right now. <laughs> so but, I was... Oh, yes. Um, it could be a Mick... You know, mixed, mixed dad parked a car here at one year, uh, so Raskas, anything's yeah. possible. So the, that was my clever segue, because when I put out a call for questions, I must say, Joe, I've had maybe 30 emails and tweets that have said, please ask Joe if he stands by his pre-season predictions about Mazepin, where you predicted he would be good and he would challenge Schumacher. Is it fair to say that so far, after four races, nothing seems further away from reality? It's fair to say that after four races, he's having a rough time. He's having a mare, Joe. No, no, no. He's he's having a rough time. In part, because of all the... uh, Everything is new to him. And he started very badly, as we know. He spun off. And his confidence is shot. So he needs to build up his confidence while at the same time learning everything. And he hasn't got the experience in Formula One cars that Mick has. And Mick is doing an exceptional job, I've got to say. Mick has, Mick has surprised me, and he certainly surprised the team, um, by delivering far more than they expected. And, and Nikita is, is struggling with that. However, uh, 
I think he's probably got the um, the the sense not to get to do his head in completely. His, you know, his head's damaged. It, it does need to be. He needs to get confidence. He needs a couple of good results. Uh, he needs to stay out of trouble, and um, and it's not easy for him. So, but ultimately, do I still think that he's got more natural flair and talent than Mick? Yes, I do. Wow. Okay. Um, so that was Georgie who uh, gave us the question most recently when I gave the call out. How surprised is he about how badly Mazepin is doing considering he thought he would match Schumacher this year? Condenza and I have to say most of the live chat Joe is saying he was a minute. He's, he's regularly seems to be a minute off his teammate. If you look at the race pace during the races, he's not got the grips of the pace. It's not like a Grosjean situation where he's quick, but he's making mistakes. He seems to be kind of unchecked in every Every check checkbox. Look, 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 look at look at the effect that confidence has on the performance of a driver. Everybody said Fernando Alonso would come in and beat Ocon. Well, that hasn't happened, has it? Ocon's <laughs> showing him the way around, and that's yeah. because Alonso is not confident in the car, and it takes time to get confident in the car. Now, the interesting point is, will he ever beat Ocon? That's much more interesting argument. Um, or is he just too old and Ocon's? Now, if you look at Vettel and and Lance Stroll, you'd never say that Lance Stroll would be be better than Sebastian Vettel on a series of races, not just a one-off. And yet he's done him every time. Okay, so it's about confidence. It's about being comfortable where you are. And it's I don't think people realize how uh, sensitive drivers are to the confidence issue. And this is something uh, last year I, I remember having a discussion about, you know, Albon and Ocon, they were not, at the start of last year, both of them struggled badly. And this had a a bad effect on both of them because they didn't have people around them because of the COVID um, restrictions. They didn't have people around them who were saying the right things Mm. and leading you in the right direction. They, They were trying to do it themselves and they were not succeeding. So maybe, maybe Mazepin needs that. Maybe he's got that and he just isn't responding to it yet. But I still think in terms of fundamental ability, and I'm not going to I'm not going to stop saying that. Okay. Although I, I am impressed by Mick, who is who has done much better than I thought he had. So I thought he would. So you know I don't think it's easy to judge and say let's see at the end of the year where things are at. And and also you know let's let's also think about um, the other things Mazepin's had to deal with in recent months. You know he's a he's a, he's a sort of hate figure. It's not easy to. Uh, you should know this, Spanners, and I know this certainly. It's not easy to live being hated by everybody. <laughs> you know, so yeah, um, yeah. you just have to get on with it. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, without getting into the the politics of it, I'm not impressed by him, Joe. I know that you have a slightly different view, but let's concentrate on uh, as we were saying a couple of shows back. We can't constantly be judging Mazepin by what we think of him as as a person. We're talking about a Haas driver. Course, How's his performance? You're, you're judging people on how they are on the racetrack. You know, and after the first race, Yuki Zenoda was the new messiah. But since then, he's made a right mess of things, to be honest. And he hasn't looked at all that, no, that decent at all. So yeah. he's learning. But he's clearly got potential to do that first time out is, is very impressive stuff. I had a chat with Franz Tost about him. And he said, it's a classic new boy. He has a fantastic debut and then he gets overconfident and smashes it up on the second race. And, you know, you just, you've then got to just balance everything up and get them. And it's a learning process. These cars are not easy. No. Um, and you have to learn how to do it. And if you look also at Latifi this year, he's got a lot closer to Russell 
uh, because he had a year of learning and, and didn't look impressive at all. But now, now he's looking a lot better. And sometimes he's even beaten George. And I, what I want to see is him beating George and seeing how George reacts to that. Okay, um, if it actually happens on the racetrack. Before we move too far away from Mazepin, I just want to wrap that up in a boat. I just want to clarify something because the chat room comments are coming in. Just saving yeah. us some emails, uh, spanners at mistapex.net. Like I, to me, he does seem like a knobhead. All I'm saying is that thinking he's an, a no, thinking he's a knobhead or not is separate to judging people on the on-track performance. I'm just saying judge those two things separately. I feel fairly confident Joe will have this conversation after Paul Ricard and um, Austria, Austria, and we'll still be having the same perspective. Like I think maybe we'll see how it goes. But you know, all of us in time, if you can put your hand on your heart and say I was never deemed a dobhead by anybody in the world um good for you i am not i can't say that at all because i know that sometimes when i was younger i did stupid things and said stupid things and and wrote stupid things but you know that's life and what we just get on with it see how it develops and and you judge somebody by their results not by whether they're a nice guy. This is a mistake that lots of reporters make when they're young. They 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 think because someone's nice, they're a good driver. That's not the case. <laughs> they, because someone's nice, they're generally not as good a driver um, as the ones who are not so nice. Uh, it's just a way of the world. But I don't. I just judge it on the fact of you know how they perform. Okay, then uh, you touched on Sonoda. Really interesting when he came out of the post-qualifying review and he was starting to suggest that he didn't have the same car or the same equipment. I mean, drivers can talk themselves out of a drive, can't they? Because it feels like Gasly did that before uh, he even got announced in F1. It feels like Paul DeResta did it, constantly yelling at his team over team radio. Is Sonoda in a bit of trouble? Is there like a management team behind him feeding him things to say? I've no idea about his management because, of course, I haven't. I've only met him once, and that was me saying hello across the from the cage. You know, uh, we don't have access to these new boys, um, so I only know them. The ones I know are only because I've met them before the pandemic came along, um, and we'll just have to see how they develop. And uh, I, you know, I. They, they, they've all got talent. This is the point. You know, nobody in Formula One is there um, because they haven't got talent. You know, everyone says, oh, he's got money. They've all got money behind them one way or the other. Otherwise, he wouldn't be there. You know, every one of them. Lewis Hamilton had money behind him because McLaren paid paid the bills. Um, all the Red Bull drivers got there. And, and that's the thing about being dropped as a Red Bull driver. If you're ghastly, if Red Bull drops you, where are you going to find any any money to go anywhere else? Can I make the distinction between having money behind you because of what you can do and having money behind you because of who you are? Is that a fair distinction? Up to a, up to a point, it's fair. But how do you rate Perez then? Somewhere in the middle. But, they, yeah, but, but No, no, but Perez has, always has money behind him and is still talented. Now, is he, does he have money behind him because he's talented? Does he have money behind him because he knows rich people? The thing is, though, weren't like those rich Slim. people always looking for a Mexican talented driver to fund? Yeah, but there's Russian people always looking for a Russian to fund as well. You know, you can you can have it whichever way you like. Uh, the fact is that it all boils down to how they do when they get here. And you can say endlessly, it's not fair. I, I, I saw some piece the other day about how IndyCar's really good these days. Yeah, it's great. Roman Grosjean turns up and nearly wins the th- whatever it is, fourth or fifth race. 
Linus McVie or McKay or whatever his name is, has won, has won a race. These guys are supposed to be the best over there, you know, and the, they're being beaten by um, people who haven't made it in Europe. So uh, is that right? You know, how does it work? Um, we need to, you, one need to remember and have a little bit more respect, I think, for, for people who get to Formula One because they, they, they are there for a reason. They qualify for licenses and it's not that the system is wrong. <laughs> Which I read from time to time saying the system must right. be wrong if this guy can get in a license. It's not wrong because you can have all the money in the world and still not get a license. Uh, I can think of some examples of that. There's an Indonesian, Indonesian bloke, but well, I've forgotten his name because he was so impressive in Formula Two. He was there for about four years, didn't achieve anything, now races sports cars. And he's He's moderately half decent, but he's no way is he Formula One material. And, you know, he had money enough to have teammates left, right and centre, which he paid for them to try to learn off them, you know. Speaking so. of uh, Russians and money, Tyre Squirt <laughs> on Twitter asks, when when will the Mazepin buyout of Haas be announced? How many more <laughs> engineers will Red Bull Racing nick from Mercedes? We'll get to Mercedes in a bit, but are they buying <sighs> no, Haas? Look, Looks like no, it, No, they're it? not because Haas is not for sale. I've, I've said this, a, uh, I don't know how many times. Haas is not for sale. They are looking at 2022 to build a car that will put them back into the game. And they hope that by then they'll have two drivers who are sufficiently trained to use the car properly. So uh, there's no reason to sell. Gene Haas is still interested in formula one he goes to more formula one races i believe than he goes to nascar races and he has one of the leading teams in nascar in fact i was amazed by how little he goes to nascar races so um well mick schumacher was quoted as saying that they're looking to to qualify for some q2s towards the end of the season but haven't Haas just declared they're not developing that's i think that's just um he's had too much too many happy pills or Right. Too much sugar or that something. was my that was my reaction. Also, uh, that, I think that's extremely unlikely that we will see them getting out of Q one without attrition or a, a major. Event. No, I mean they might it might happen once or twice, but I don't see don't see quite how they're going to make a car that is fundamentally. Um, you've got to bear in mind also all the cars this year are fundamentally the same cars as last year. Okay. There are changes in engines. McLaren is a bit different because they had some leeway because they changed an engine, therefore they could change more on the car. But the, the monocoques are the same. You can't change a monocoque. This is what was agreed. So the cars, a lot of people know what's wrong with their cars and can't change it. I think that um, the Renault is a good example of that, now an Alpine, obviously. But there's a lot of things that they know they could design out of it if they were allowed to design a new car, but they're not. So what they're doing is they're trying to make an old one better. And they had a bit of a glitch in the wind tunnel over the winter that put them back, but they've come back really strong. And we've seen them in the points, uh, double point scores for the last two races, I think, if I remember correctly. But And, and, and Ocon's been looking really good. So, um, and McLaren, they have a bit of an advantage because they were allowed to redesign the back end of the car more than the others. And so just by pure luck it's nothing more than that they found themselves uh, in a situation where and and the midfield being so tight that's another Im- very important point yes. you know, one weekend you can look a hero by being eighth <laughs> or ninth and next weekend you'll be 16th or 20th mm. so I- i'd say that williams is caught up and he's in the mix i don't think that Haas is in the mix um alfa romeo is just about in the mix um 
but otherwise, you know, you can drift out of that. And and as they, as the teams start switching over all their efforts to 2022, we'll see a certain amount of probably of, of people dropping back. And maybe, I mean, there's no reason for Haas to spend any money on this year's car. It makes no sense at all. It's, it's In fact, it's ridiculous to spend money on this year's car because they're going to finish 10th, whatever they do. <laughs> so why would you spend money and get the same result? This is something you know, that Alfa Romeo didn't seem to realise. They spent a fortune um, over the winter and, and they're still going to end up in the same position. While you're on Alfa Romeo, when you were talking about Haas not being for sale, Phil R in our live chat room asks, is Sauber for sale? Well, Alfa Romeo is essentially yes. Sauber still. Yes, it's always, it's always for sale if you've got the right money. The trouble with that team is that it's based in Switzerland. It costs far more than all the other teams to run because of salaries in Switzerland. Equipment costs more. You have to have special trucks because you have to use certain kind of trucks in Switzerland. It's just the whole thing. It was Peter Sauber's dream, and now it's a team in the wrong place. Having said that, you can't li- pick it up and carry it somewhere else. <laughs> so you're stuck because they've got the most amazing wind tunnel there too. And, you know, the fact is you need somebody uh, to buy it who's willing to, to deal with that and who knows how to run it. And I'm afraid at the moment one of those things is lacking. And I'll leave the rest to uh, the readers or the listeners rather to work out what I'm trying to say here. But the fact is that uh, I would think they would have been far better off if they'd left the original management in place because at least they understand the Swiss end of the operation. Um, and it's a Swiss team. It is Sauber. You can you can you can dress it up in any kind of coats you want to put on it, but it's still Sauber, and it is in the heart of Sauber beats. And if okay. they kill that, they'll kill the team. I get a bit confused. Who's the team principal at Sauber now? Frenchman, Fred uh, Vasseur. Vasseur, yes. Right. Okay. Gotcha. And who was the previous management? Remind me. Misha Kaltenborn. Oh, okay. So that was. And it's owned by a Swedish man who makes money out of. Cartoon, uh, cartons. Did, did you rate Caltonborn as a team yes, principal? Yes, I did very much so. And what, what do you think that she had that uh, Vassour is perhaps lacking? That I would probably get sued if I said that. Right. I? Okay. Okay. Do you want to? Um, if you whisper it, we'll get away let's with just, it. Let's just say that I think, intellectually speaking, um, there she was a long way ahead of most of the other team principals. Actually, not just. I, I just think as a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a brainy person who had clever ideas and also the ability to, because she'd worked with the team for 20 years, she knew how it functioned. She didn't just turn up for three days a week, and, or if that, and, and uh, sort of think that everyone's going to follow her over a cliff, you know. Um, you, have to, you, have to, you have to earn respect from a team. And I think that that's where they have a problem in as much as um, the, the owners have got money and they know, you know, they, they probably think they know what they're doing. That's fine. I just don't think they do. Um, now, what do I know? I've just been, I've seen, I've seen generations of team owners failing. That's the only thing, my only claim to fame is that I've watched lots of people do it wrong. Does that make, does it mean I know how to do it right? Not necessarily but I know what not to do. And I've seen a lot of what not to do happening in that team. All right. Well, let's, let's talk about uh, another a team owner then, because we've got a question about Lawrence Stroll as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're dying mm-hmm. there, Joe. I'd get another. I, I'm just, you know, I just. I'll get another test if I were you, Joe. That doesn't sound very good at all. I just make an editing. I, note. I have I ha, I've had a number of tests of late. So <laughs> I, I have a I have an app on my telephone which is supplied by the FIA uh, 
so test supplier where I have a, an endless list of negative, negative, negative. So that's good. Well done. Well done for surviving this. Although I am one far. of the most positive people I know, you know. Oh, so yeah. You're, you you're just all sunshine and roses, Joe. That's what, that's what <laughs> they say about you on the Twitters. Lawrence Stroll, learning the hard way, says PV, that he cannot just pay for his son to win a world championship in F1. How long will Lawrence Stroll tolerate Seb underperforming? Or is he happy with Lance being faster than a four-time world champion if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery think again juvederm volux xc is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime even better this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment no maintenance required improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with juvederm volux xc for important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number 1 in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Okay, let's look at that, shall we? Lawrence Stroll, how many of your... How many of your listeners know how long Lawrence Stroll has been involved in Formula One? Uh, seven of them. Okay. Um, well, have you any idea? The perception is that he's just swooped in with uh, Lance Stroll and then bought up the old Force India. He started in 1991. That's ages ago, Joe. It is. He started in 1991 as a sponsor of Team Lotus, the original Team Lotus. And if you go and look at a photograph, you'll see the words Tommy Hilfiger written on the side. And he played a role all the way from there through the 90s uh, into the 2000s when he was involved closely with Ferrari. If you look, you'll see Tommy Hilfiger. You'll see um, Garrard, was it? I, I can't remember what it was called, but there was a jeweler's shop he owned at one point. Um, and, you know, you, you can see it all the way through. He's been involved as a sponsor um, for 30 years so if he doesn't know what he's doing he's either not very clever which i don't think that is the case um but i think 
you know, he's he wants his son to do well. Obviously, his son has more talent than people give him credit for, but he doesn't. He's not the full pick. He's not the full package yet. He may never be the full package, uh, and we saw that probably best illustrated last year in Turkey, where he was on pole and led the race, and then he changed the tires and everything fell apart, and he just went back through the field and never figured again. And that was where you think, okay, how do you analyze this guy? Because when you've got somebody who can put a, a, a car on pole in a Formula One race who can beat Vettel, okay, Vettel's got some flaws these days, but, you know, he's got some of the elements that are required for success in Formula One. The one I always doubt, and the one I, I have doubts about, is hunger. Because one thing you need in Formula One to be successful is hunger. And if you've had everything you've always wanted in your life, sometimes it's hard to have hunger. And, you know, I would look in examples of that being Nico Rosberg, who never really needed to do anything, uh, except perhaps in his own head he needed to beat his dad or something. I don't know, whatever it is. Uh, if you look at uh, Damon Hill or, or Jacques Villeneuve, they had reasons, other reasons uh, for, to have hunger to be successful. Uh, most people are pretty hungry. And that's the one thing about Lance that I I just want to see more of to understand it. You know, is he is he doing this because Lance Stroll wants to be world champion or is he doing it because Lance Stroll's dad wants him to be world champion? Yeah. And that's the question that we need to find the answer to. And thus far, the jury is out. Um, but he, he clearly has, has some natural talent, quite a lot. So this season, he seemed reasonably motivated. There were a couple of times in previous seasons where he's been head down and you've wondered whether he really wanted to be there at all. I, I think you're right. Uh, he... He is up generally kind of up to standard on the grid. He doesn't seem like out of place as an F1 driver anymore. Uh, people will point out that in Turkey, he the team did say that he had damage when he was going back down the field, but there yeah, were never but, any but that, pictures of it or anything. Mm, yeah, they did say that. <laughs> I didn't believe that But one. But, but you know, the other question you have to ask is, okay, when you're teamed with Vettel in his current state, is that car being used to the absolute maximum of its potential by Lance or by Sebastian? I don't know the answer to that. Now, if, for example, uh, Nico Hulkenberg got into the car, mm. how would he do um, with that car? You know, Perez always generally looked, well, he always looked better than Lance. Um, and, you know, Perez is, as we've seen, moving at Red Bull, you know, he's, he's, he's almost all the parts there. But, yeah, uh, not all at the time. same time. Yeah. And the other thing is people underestimate, and people really do underestimate how good Max Verstappen is. I don't care. I'm not even, I'm not even Dutch. But, but Max Verstappen is one of those drivers who comes along every 10 years who is super special. And Lewis recognizes it. I think Max knows it as well. But I think a lot of punters out there don't understand just how good he is when you're up against people like Perez even Albon these are all top really good drivers and he makes them look second hand and that is the sign it's a bit like um in back in the 1960s that there were a bunch of drivers who were Tom uh, Tom uh, Jim Clark's teammate yeah, and the, the the fastest way to 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 sort of disappear without trace was to be Jim Clark's teammate because he was so good that nobody could get even close to him. And, you know, 
again, have a have a quiz. How many people can name Jim Clark's teammates at Lotus? <laughs> yeah. Yep. No, that's fair. But look, Max Verstappen is compared to Lewis Hamilton, and he is now being compared to Lewis Hamilton. Lewis Hamilton is a lot further down the road and seems to only be getting better and better with age. So think yeah. of Verstappen at the similar, you know, a 36-year-old Max Verstappen. There's still a long way to go. Like, he could yeah, still but, genuinely... But look at... Look at uh... It was true also the time when, when Michael Schumacher was arriving and Ayrton Senna was at the top of the game and then Ayrton got killed. And so we never saw the years of the the real fight between those two because Ayrton wasn't there. So Michael was made to look, perhaps he was made to look better than he was by the fact that the one guy um, who, well, that's no, that's not true because Mika Hakkinen was as good as... Um, but that, that was again was a, step, as a step later, though, wasn't it? Hakkinen. It was a few years later, but at the same time, it was you know Mika was Mika was also a lot better than people gave him credit for. Yeah, fair enough. And uh, there were a lot of people that were hoping that McLaren's super announcement was going to be the final ending of the Mika Hakkinen sabbatical. Um, it wasn't in the end. After all the build-up, it was the somewhat underwhelming reveal that they had a special sponsor logo it was it's, it's basically a corporate sponsor logo golfer well, paid I, you see i don't agree with you no? about okay. it being underwhelming i think okay. if, if you look at the sexiest liveries in the history of motorsport there's only a couple that are in the argument as to which you know which are the really cool liveries one is the jps lotus and the other one seven I up think, car so, yeah, but that lasted one year. It wasn't. It wasn't a. It wasn't a. Um, <laughs> it wasn't something that was iconic over a period of time. The Gulf Racing livery from 1967 onwards was just had so many great drivers drove the cars. Such great cars. Mm. Okay, it was in sports cars, but at that time, sports cars was much bigger. The Porsche 917s, these were monster cars. And then Steve McQueen gets in one and makes a movie about <laughs> it. It's the coolest car in the world. And that livery has been the coolest livery there is. Now, you can also, I suppose, argue about Rothmans and uh, things like that. But yeah. um, I just think that that, and particularly, maybe it's just a thing, maybe it's because uh, I don't, I can't remember how old Zach is, but... He's a little bit younger than me, but I think of our generation, that, that whole thing is just so the ultimate thing. I mean, Steve McQueen was the ultimate cool. When we were teenagers, Steve McQueen was just... Whoa, whoa, know, whoa, enough of the he we. He was everything. He just, was everything. The royal we I'm there, not talking not about. Me. I'm talking about yeah. we being Zach and I. Um, you know, Steve McQueen was it. He was, the, he was the guy, you know. He was the coolest guy ever. So I can see a little bit of that, but Maybe it's a generational thing. Maybe the younger generation don't get it in the same way that we do. But for, for us, right. that golf livery is magic. I have to say, I mean, I'm 40 years old. It didn't mean a great deal to me. I had to go and ask. Obviously, you know. you're just too young. Yeah, that's the problem. I'm too young. So, no, it's, I think I think that the the the, the sort of um, grumpy old man Formula One fan, which is the majority, not it's getting better, thank goodness, but. <laughs> Um, I think that that appeals to huge numbers of Formula One fans who have the memory of these things, or if not the memory of them directly, they have that they know the story and they know about McQueen driving one of these things and they know the Le Mans film because it's the best film, you know, all these things. And so I think it's, I think it's actually a very clever thing to do, and they will make an absolute pile in merchandising for one weekend. Um, they will be <laughs> yes. deemed to be a bit different. I, 
interestingly enough, I'm not a fan of the of papaya orange uh, McLaren because it doesn't look good on telly. When you go and see it live, it looks good. It looks you know, really sort of vibrant. But on TV, it gets lost. And it's the same, interestingly enough, um, the Aston Martin looks really good in the sunlight. But watch it on television, and you can mistake it from Mercedes yeah, really easily. It's, quite it's dark, samey. and it's black, and it, it's not very interesting, So, which is a shame. But if you also then look at the... What you know, the the over the years, the Marlborough McLaren colors and even Ferrari colorings of the Marlborough it changed a number of times as they tried to get the TVs to pick up exactly what it really looks like or create what it really looks like on a television screen. Um, and that's often, I mean, the Alpines look glorious, absolutely glorious. Yeah, I mean, in the sunshine, yeah. they look lovely. Um, but you know, I think I think these powder blue cars will just be sensational weekend. And you know, I think at the end of the day, some people will say, "Well, why don't they keep it that way?" Um, but you know, I, I also get the papaya orange and what it means historically. But you have to you have to play it with the media, and media does mess things around. I mean, look at my face here; it's 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 darker than it really is because <laughs> I'm you know the, the TV is is mm. not giving me the full basis of well, benefit of the light, you know. So looking in the chat as a litmus test, I think the general kind of consensus is, yes, it does look good. I think the hype did ruin it for people because they were expecting perhaps something a little bit different than just, you know, it's a different colour for this race. Uh, However, can we get back to some questions? Because the time has flown by listening to the birds in the background and absorb. I feel like I'm in Monaco, Joe, if I'm honest. I feel like, I feel like... Uh, If you were in Monaco, there'd be Italians shouting at each other. (laughs) There would be horns going off. Um, uh, There would be policemen hitting you over the head with things. You know, it's just... I I feel like I can turn around to people who disparage Monaco now and say, you really have to be on a Zoom call with someone who's nearly in Monaco to appreciate it. (laughs) That's what I'm going to do. Mike Stoner. Fair point, I'd say. (laughs) Mike Stoner. He's a magician. By trade is Mike Stone. I says, if Bottas leaves at the end of the season, as seems likely, and Lewis stays at Mercedes, then who else would he want as his teammate? And I guess who who gets a say? Is Russell too much of a threat? Who else could it be? Ocon, Perez, Mick Schumacher and Tanner Wilson also chimes in with that. If Bottas stays at Merck for one more year, does does Russell move on to another team? What does he do? And Which team would he go to? And why is it Red Bull, says Tanner? What's, what's happening, Joe? Lay out the tea leaves for well, us at Mercedes. it's too early to say any of that. Bottas is out, though, isn't he? He's doomed. No. No? He's absolutely not, not at all doomed. If you have a winning combination, why would you change it? <clears throat> Bottas is fast enough to keep Lewis awake. He's fast enough to beat him to pole positions. Don't forget that. Bottas, uh, he might not be beating him in races, but Bottas is quick. And he's, he's very, very quick. And he's pretty damn good as a teammate. You know, he'll move over and let Lewis through if he has to, as we saw. Eventually. Why would you change that? Why would you put some whippersnapper, who's obviously good, into a team that might disrupt Lewis? It doesn't make sense. So Mm. the only other thing that really makes sense is for George to either stay where he is and for Williams to get better while he hones his skills a little further. Or, as, by the way, Bottas had to do, he sat there for a long time waiting at Williams. Mm-hmm. Um, or they have to move him to another team with a Mercedes engine, which will be happy to see him. Now, that's more complicated. 
Um, they're not going to let him go off to somewhere else because he's too good to waste. Having said that, Esteban Ocon is a Mercedes driver. And I say is, I don't mean was. Esteban Ocon is still a Mercedes driver. So if they wanted to pull somebody else in, they could. There's an underlying Mercedes contract beneath the Renault contract. So, you know, there's another possibility there that people probably haven't considered. Um, and anyone who can beat Fernando Alonso is not bad, are they? You know, so um, I think that, you know, if George has to move or feels the need to move, uh, Aston Martin might be a good place because although Sebastian Vettel might sell a few cars, um, he's not as yet delivering the goods. And it's a matter of how long the team keeps the faith that he will one day come back to be the Sebastian Vettel we all know and love. Mm. Um, And he still is the Sebastian Vettel we all know and love. He's just not quite as quick as he used to be and he has more accidents so um you know people change over time so if george was to go anywhere i would say that that's a likely one the other one obviously um just look around you look at the other mercedes teams available you have mclaren (laughs) yeah so um and but i think both mclaren drivers have got longer contracts but but whatever the case George will be in Formula One and he will make a, a good impression, but he may just have to wait. And and it's a bit like Gasly. Gasly's far too good to waste, but where's Gasly going? Yeah, there's only so many seats. Is there a possibility, or this is still my working theory, that, that Russell was really, really kind of being considered by Mercedes and probably still is, but he's just come across a little bit aggy. Like he's just come across a little bit aggro and the management, the senior management have got to think, well, we do have to work with this lad, and and that's a big factor. You know, is he? No, I, don't, I don't think that's true. I think that um, that that was all. I mean, you were talking about hype and the media earlier on. Everything, every other week, it all changes based on what happened in the last race. So George has suddenly become overly aggressive and and uh, difficult. He's not overly aggressive and difficult. You know, he just said a few things after after having a shunt. It wasn't really anybody's fault. It was just a, a, a series of unfortunate events that, that, that happened one after another. But I cannot see any logic in changing Valtteri Bottas. I just there's no logic there at all in changing him. So with that in mind, I think George has to wait for Lewis to retire or yeah. Valtteri to want to go. So that, the other possibility is, and don't, don't write this one off, is that Valtteri might want to go somewhere else, thinking that I'm tired of being a number one and a half. I want to be a a full-scale number one. He very nearly went to Renault last year. Really? Um, But Well, there you go. He learns from me every day. Well, I'm learning this, yeah. And and what happened there was that the team thought Botas would be a really good idea, Um, and then the top management at Renault thought Alonso would be a really good idea. And so, obviously, Mm. one lot overruled the other lot. And... um, and of course, now everyone will say, well, of course, yes, that we always wanted him, da 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 But that's not strictly the case. At the time, um, there were a lot of them saying, yes, Botas would be really good for this team because he knows how a top team operates. He's quick, da 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 And he's not, you know, he, doesn't, he doesn't get awfully emotional. He, he just, and, and if things go wrong, he just fights back and, and does it again. So, you know, it's possible that Botas will say, I want to go somewhere else because I've done my time here. Just as Ricardo, Daniel Ricardo, did when Verstappen turned up at, at Red Bull, he went, 
I'm best out of here because this guy <laughs> is going to kill me if I stay yeah. in terms of career-wise. And so Daniel moved off, um, didn't make massively. I mean, he did very well at Renault, but not, you know, not enough to stay. And now he's at McLaren, and, and suddenly there's this kid called Lando Norris who's, who's <laughs> giving him a hard time, you know. So you just have to look at the circumstances at any given time and the openings available. But I could see a situation in which um, Botas would go. Um, I mean, you never leave a winning team, but after seven years of losing or whatever it is, you know, it's not quite that bad, but mm. you know what I'm saying after losing to the same guy over and over again, a driver might consider it might be a good idea to move to the, to the next best thing. He's been there a while though. He does deserve the credit for dusting himself off at the end of every season. Doesn't he? He's remarkable. He is absolutely remarkable. Most drivers would have fallen apart um, to be dropped in that way, to have the things that have happened to him. And yet, he's how many Grand Prix has he won? Seven, something like that. I don't know. I'd have to look it up. But he he's he wins Grand Prix. He comes back. He takes pole positions. Right now, Lewis has got him on toast. There's no question about it. In the races, Lewis has has discovered that uh, the secret of how to set up a car. Um, and while Valtteri can beat him in qualifying, uh, he can't quite beat him in the races. And yeah. But watch out, because the other thing about Valtteri is he learns all the time. And so Valtteri will be, is still getting better because he's able to learn from Lewis. Can I, can I tag on a Lewis question then? It's from Gunnar Sir Hamfosi on Twitter that says, why does Hamilton always have to be compared to others instead of others being compared to him? Uh, I think there's a bit of bitterness here that Max seems to get hyped up despite not really yet having ultra proved himself at that highest highest level in f1 um, but when we're talking about were you just saying the the weapon he's unlocked um interesting that you say setup i i thought it might be you know it's how he manages the tires uh four or five years ago if he was second in a race he would be right on the back of the car in front whereas now he seems to stalk a second a second and a half and we nearly always see the same pattern when he's behind bottas at the start of the race as we get to the end of the first stint you suddenly see him going into attack mode and where he either forces a pit stop and then carries on after saying his tyres are dead or he's mm -hmm. able to pass and overtake. And that, that's something, that's something about the, the early soft tyre runs. He seems to just have, particularly on Bottas, but over everyone. And it's something he wasn't doing years ago and, and it's magnificent. You can almost set your watch to the stint one Hamilton attack. Yes, I'd agree with that. But the thing is that he's learned that over time and other people will learn that from him. But there is still no question that right now Lewis is, is in a class. Of, you can't argue with the numbers. I mean, you know, it's ridiculous to suggest that the, the, the man who's won more races than anybody else in all time is, is no good at all, isn't it? I mean, it's just silly. Um, but do I think that Max is absolutely on a par with Lewis? No, I don't. Because he's got a lot to learn. He's still, he's still a youngster. So he can only get stronger. And the other thing I've noticed about Max is that he is mentally getting stronger every year. He's not petulant. Uh, he doesn't have outbursts. He just, he, he accepts things. He, as Lewis does too, you just sort of, you know, say, okay, yeah, well, I did that wrong or whatever, but you can't always be perfect. And so I, I love, I love the way that drivers develop, um, I love the way that sometimes they develop and, and they, they do things you think, oh, I never thought he'd do that. Um, and that's one of the joys of, of, of the game. But, you know, 
one always needs to step back from the daily blabber of of social media. Podcasts. Yeah. No, no, no. But I don't mean that in any nasty way. I'm just saying that there is this. It creates these sort of instant crises that last ten minutes and go away. But you've got to you take a step back from that and you say, well, where is actually you know. So Botas didn't do quite as well this week. Let's, let's fire him, shall we? He won't last until the end of the season. All these stories you see every other week. Um, you just have to take a step back and say, what's the logic here? And the logic here is that he stays where he is. Mm. Okay, brilliant. Um, let's end. We're at 56 minutes, Joe. So I've, I have three minutes and five seconds of your time remaining. If that's all right. And we need, and we, it's not quite that bad. I'm not, I haven't got a stopwatch he's running incredibly here. Incredibly you know, strict. He starts tapping his watch and then I get an angry email <laughs> afterwards. I can't tap my watch because look, this You're is one of the list. biggest problems, by the way, of lockdown. You can't get a watch battery. Is that right? Well, where do you buy one? Joe, my watch just plugs in and recharges. I don't. Well, you're obviously far more modern than me, but I have a battery and I haven't been able to find a shop open anywhere that could, because the other thing is they're quite complicated to put in. You can't just sort of buy one and stick it in there because you then can't put the watch back together again. So you need a jeweler and you can't go to jewelers because they're all shut. Anyway, that's why no watch. So he lies. Welcome to Watch Time (laughs) on Missed Apex Podcast. If you want to hear more watch updates or listen or read more watch updates then what you need to do is go ahead and head over to gp plus magazine which is a (laughs) full report after the race and this is not little tiny science sound bites where people are just copying copying and pasting press releases you do proper articles uh you paint a proper picture of the race weekend on grand prix plus magazine it's proper old school journalism joe and this weekend is the 300th edition of Grand Prix Plus. Oh, wow. 300. That's, that's so that's many. quite a lot, isn't it? Yes, yeah, loads. All right. Uh, We're trying to work out what to put in the 300th edition to make it a bit special, but um, oh, we haven't got there yet. So. Do a special full-page spread on the on the, the shed dweller that brought you to podcasting. I can send you headshots. <laughs> we can do, you can do an interview about but my... But I don't work with him anymore. <laughs> <gasps> oh, no, I forgot you were at a podcast before. Don't talk about your exes, Joe. Oh, I'd forgotten oh, about I'm that. not going to. I'm not go- I can't even remember the name, but there you are. Anyway, if you want a full-length spread... I can't remember the name because I've been so enamoured by you. So I've got a f- picture of me spread in a, on a bed in a Ferrari onesie that you can use as your centrefold. And you can ask me all about my likes and dislikes. I'll send it over to you, Joe, and then you make the judgment whether you want to use it. How's that? Do, do you really have to? <laughs> I feel like at this point I do have to, yeah. Ferrari onesie. Yes. I don't even know what a onesie is, but it sounds like pyjamas. Well, you're going to find out. Check your inbox. Uh, but go and search for Joe Blogs F1. Joe does the fantastic green notebook. And after every Grand Prix, you can have a Grand Prix Plus magazine delivered to your inbox. You get it in a PDF magazine style. Uh, no, it's not delivered. You have to go and get it. You have to go to a website and click a thing. <laughs> yes, you do. The news, the newsletter, however, my insider insight newsletter does go direct to your inbox, but that right. costs a lot more money. So, okay. If you want to know more about all this rubbish, you go to um, flatoutpublishing.com and it's all there, all these little elements. So <laughs> you can whiz around and buy books and all kinds of things. Anton Beal on Twitter asks you, Joe, just to finish the show off. How will Red Bull's poaching of Mercedes staff affect the engine development over the next few years? How big a deal is it really, in your opinion, Joe? How key are some of these engineers? Now, somebody earlier, oh, it was uh, Tyre Squirt again. Yeah, somebody did ask this and I didn't answer it. So Tyre Squirt again, though, mentioned, are they actively avoiding Ferrari engineers? 
that is oof, that is harsh. And then in the live chat, someone was asking, will they be for sale for other teams? So where are we, Joe? Well, I think that any organisation that loses six heads of department at one go is going to take a bit of a hit. Now, how big a hit, we can't say, because Mercedes always say we've got strength in depth. You know, if somebody goes, we've got someone else to step in. Well, we'll see, won't we? But I think it's a huge hit. I think it's a deliberate hit as well by Red Bull um, to help not only to get the good guys, but to hurt the opposition. It's a classic uh, Formula One technique. You know, you, you get somebody, and you, you don't just get a good guy, but you hurt the opposition as well. So... We'll see, but they needed to do it. You know, if you're going to be competitive, you've got to have the best guys. So logically, when you set up an organization in Britain, and this is another point um, to take into account, um, the reason there aren't any Ferrari engineers is is perhaps because uh, they don't know them as well, uh, added to which we also have a thing called Brexit, which makes... Um, settling in the UK much more difficult than before. You've got to have work permits. You've got to have all kinds of paperwork. To Rubbish. We're going to have all the same things we had before and hold all the cards, Joe. It doesn't work like that. Well, that's what they but said. There you are. Well, ask any team how much money they've spent on European carnets so far, which I believe are paid to the British government. Or oh, I don't know who gets the money, but each of the Formula One teams has spent £60,000 so far this year on paperwork. Just right. to go to Europe. 60, each team, 60,000. Excellent. And that's wasted money. <laughs> okay. Anyway, you can't get the talent you want necessarily from the EU anymore. Right. Because it takes a long time to get them aboard. So if you have a, the, the top engine company in your own country, it's probably best to nick from there. Fair enough. And is it, is it going to make a difference? Can they do anything beyond just carrying on what Honda did? Can they really grow from here? Well, they're, they're intending in 2025 to have a completely new engine of their own. So they will learn from what Honda is doing. Honda is, hasn't sold them the engines. It's leased them the engines, I believe. Um, there's not much development that can be done, but they can certainly learn a lot about the engines in that time. And so we'll see. In, in terms of will it impact on the Mercedes, because everything's frozen from next year, um, the impact is likely to be less than it could have been. If you were having upgrades every year, there are still things that can be done, but um, we'll see. But I don't think, I think it's a big hit for Mercedes, but we, we, I, do, I think we just have to wait and see how big a hit it is. And we also have to wait and see if they can bounce back like they say they can. With those hires, though, it does it does indicate that Red Bull they're not playing, are they? <laughs> they're taking it seriously. I hate I hate to imagine how much money they're putting into that mm. program, but. At the end of the day, they will be like Ferrari. The only thing they won't do is build road cars. Maybe in the future, Red Bull has an ambition to build supercars in addition to having all the other stuff. Or maybe not. Maybe they have an ambition to sell the whole thing at some point to somebody who wants to build supercars. You know, Let's just say that um, Larry, Larry, whatever his name is of Oracle, wakes up one morning and says, uh, I'd like to build road cars now, like the people at Apple or someone like that. He can just turn around to Dietrich Mateschitz and say, tell you what, I'll give you X million for that whole operation. Mm. And Oracle is suddenly in road cars and racing cars. And that is where the value can be recouped over time. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Larry Ellison, that's the word I was looking for. Um, But, you know, what they've got is now 
almost unique apart from Ferrari. They have everything on one site. They have they can build their own engines. They can build their own cars. They have the hypercar uh, design department who was originally working on the Aston Martin cars. That's Red Bulls now. They can do what they like. Whether they can whether they can manufacture uh, road cars is another matter. But um, if you can if you can do you know fifty odd specials, it's only a matter of time after that before you can expand out. Excellent, Joe Saywood. Thank you once again for your time. Taking a break from the busy life there on the edge of Monaco, you can get back to your your hidden margarita now. <laughs> I wish that was so. I should probably just get back to writing dull articles. Well, you can find all those articles for searching by searching for Joe Saywood anywhere. Joe Saywood F1, and you'll find everything, basically. You're famous enough to just type in your name and F1, aren't you? I don't know. I haven't I tried it. So. I must try that. But you can follow Joe at Joe Saywood on Twitter also. You're active on there, Joe. Just jumping into my mentions to cause chaos yesterday after the McLaren launch. Moving swiftly on from that. (laughs) (laughs) Check out GP Plus magazine. The links to that and to Joe's social media will be in the show notes below. Thank you so much for your time, Joe. Enjoy the Monaco Grand Prix. We'll be back here with our race review of the Monaco Grand Prix at 8 p.m. on Sunday. Come and join us in the live chat room by subscribing to us on Missed Apex podcast on YouTube. And if you want to go and check out our other podcasts, we do an iRacing podcast at the moment. Search for Missed Apex iRacing podcast on your podcatcher of choice. Oh, and you can follow me as well, at Spanners Ready. But wherever we see you next, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Missed Apex podcast. Excellent. Thank you for that, Mr. Saywood. Shall we abruptly hang up on you so you can go about your bit, business and your day? Oh, do we need to discuss anything else apart from oh, uh, the audience to, next yes, week? Yes, we're going to try and hook up a, a live audience. I shall throw up the paperwork for that guy. So if you like the live audiences with Joe, uh, 50 people can come on a live Zoom call and answer and ask questions to Joe. The content of that private Zoom call is dictated by your questions. We are currently looking at the week. We're next week, aren't we? We're looking at an evening next week, aren't we? A week, yeah, an evening after Monte Carlo, probably the Thursday or the, the Wednesday. Yeah, so the twenty sixth or the twenty seventh, yeah. we were we were looking at. Uh, if that gives us enough time to promote it and, and and sell stuff like that, but we'll get on on that, and I will send you the details of that. But look out for that on all our social media. We'll put it. In. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and 
and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.